Hey, this is Jen Slumack, and I've been recording for about three years now interviews with people that I found interesting, conversations that I've had with people that I enjoyed talking with. And uh, I've been trying to put together something to call it a podcast forever. And my buddy Vince Carone told me recently, hey, uh, if you want to start something, all you have to do is be about 40% uh, sure what you want it to be. So <laughs> I'm about there now. 40%. I'm going to just start uh, putting some of these things out there and let's see what happens. I'm wonderful. How are you? Living the dream. I'm great. I'm great. I cannot complain. You know. I got Happy. so many questions for you. I I'm looking on your website too because I might um, during the mm -hmm. course of this I might want to put one of your your paintings up and ask you about it. I just love your work, man. Tell me a little bit about who you are right now. Just kind of introduce yourself, if you would, to the audience and basic stuff. And then I'm gonna dive in and ask you a few questions that I want to know the answer to, and then we'll dig in. I am. Uh, that's an interesting question because I've been trying to figure that out. Right, uh, right. 36-year-old 30, uh, privileged white male, recovering alcoholic, almost uh, eight years. I'm a comedian, cook, um, artist. I like to call myself an artist in the broad spectrum of just the way that I view life. Um, you know, kind of that line from The Departed when, he, you know, he's talking and he says, Lennon said, give me a tuba and I'll get you something out of it. You know, an artist can just, <laughs> so I like, you know, the writing, the drawing, the painting, the creating uh, comedy. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm single. I've got a dog. I live in a, in a garage apartment, which is kind of that typical studio artist lifestyle. I paint my free time, which actually I started doing because I got sober and needed to fill, you know, the drinking time, um, completely fell in love with it. You know, I got back to your roots is when you're drawing on your notebooks and fell in love with it. And I saw a, an artist and I said, I can do that. And next thing you know, three years later, I've got an Etsy shop, a, a, you know, an online store. I'm selling on Instagram and watching Gary Vee videos, you know, to try to inspire myself and turn it into something, you know? Um, so that's, you know, that's where I'm at now. I, I work in kind of that typical nine to five. And then, uh, you know, I paint and, and create in the, uh, the free time, you know, the hours that I'm not at work, but I'm constantly moving and constantly doing something. I love it. I love it. 36. Yeah. Just turned 36 in September. That's awesome. Happy birthday, bro. Thank so, you. so Thank we've you. got so much to talk about. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yes. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for making the time to do this with me. Thank you for, um, my pleasure. So, so I'll just say a little bit too is um, for those of you who don't know, Mike and I know each other from back in the day, probably early 2000s, late 19, yeah, mm -hmm. early 2000s. And yeah. uh, we did stand up comedy together, if you want to call it that. And uh, we got on yeah. stage and we said stuff and we got a reaction. And, uh, and, and then I, uh, I moved on to Los Angeles and I lost touch with a lot of folks uh, more recently, I have seen Mike posting all of this artwork, and uh, I've known a little bit about him along the way because I know that you got sober. Uh, I remember you sharing that with me, and I'd love to talk about that too, both of our experience with that. I'm mm -hmm. also in long-term recovery. I just celebrated yeah. 17 years, bro, on November 3rd. Oh, nice. Good for you. It's crazy, nice. right? Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. It's nuts. So, so what I want to ask you, um, so you said you're still doing comedy. Mm -hmm. So you haven't Not left comedy. Okay. I don't, I don't think as a comedian we ever really leave it, you know, um, yeah. especially in today's day and age where 
the world needs to laugh. Uh, you know, in just every political spectrum and every uh, societal spectrum, everybody's in pain, everybody's hurting. And, you know, even us included, artists, some of the most, especially with the depression and the suicide and, and our mental, you know, defects. Um, so I always try to keep myself up or the people around me. And then you just, why am I not doing this on a broader spectrum? Um, you know, and unfortunately, you're nine to five. Sometimes you can't get to a comedy club or you can't drive an hour for an open mic. And I said, well, with technology, well, let's break the rules. Why does it have to be, well, this is the way it's always been done. Well, that's great. If we stayed that way, we wouldn't be in a car. We'd be riding our horse to work. Let's figure it out. So I have looked into uh, starting my own YouTube channel. What I want to do is take a character that I made, uh, Goat Slayer, and have him do a presents so that, you know, I may not be going to the comedy clubs, but I have that need and that want to make people laugh. So what I'm going to do is going to be a little variety show. So we'll have... You know, Goat Slayer, the uh, thug biker. Love you. Have a great day. Um, the thug biker, and he'll present, you know, the other comedian characters where we all have them in stock, where my buddy Drew, you know, oh, you want to do hard body? Bring them on. And we're going to and we're gonna make just small little skits just to make people laugh. I love going to the comedy club and just showing up and just doing four or five minutes with no material, just joking with people in the crowd. Um, you, you take time off because – you know, as an artist, you hit that rut or writer's block or a comedian, you hit a depression or I just don't want to be around people, but you, you don't leave it for too long. You know, when I got sober, I didn't want to be around that lifestyle for a little while and being in the bars. And I said, well, I'm three months without comedy. I'm doing okay. And then you get down to that comedy club and you feel, you feel the energy and you feel the love and you feel it's one of the few places nowadays where especially in today's society where nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if you're a fat black Jewish woman or a little person or it doesn't matter. We're all there for one purpose to forget our problems and laugh. And there's no, you can't escape that. So every time I say, well, I'm going to take some time off from the comedy club, it's I'm, I find myself writing more and more and more. So, you know, I never really leave it. I just take hiatuses. Well, that's really inspiring to me, too, because that's been my big thing is um, I stopped doing comedy for a while. Like you said, you can't really get away from it. I've tried to break up with this broad a million times, right? Um, yeah, there's no but, way. But the thing was is that I had really crafted a body of material, and then it didn't, you know, that, that was solid, that was really – it was really doing a great job wherever I brought it. And I got so mm -hmm. invested in that material that I was afraid to do uh, off the cuff because I didn't want to risk, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not using the good stuff. Well, what happened is I grew out of the good stuff. I was telling stories on stage that I didn't relate to anymore. I was like, I'm, I've grown past this. I've moved past this. As an artist, it was killing me. Right. And so I did step away. But something that you just said is really, um, I, I think I'd like to hear more about it. And that is, um, we're all there for the same purpose. We're all there for the mm -hmm. same purpose is to get away from what's going on outside of that room, right? Um, yep. It's important to laugh. It's important uh, to to build community. It's it's important to connect through the things that we have in common. And I'm a big advocate uh -huh. and, and believer in that. So I have produced some comedy shows this last year. I got back into it on the producer end. And one of the things that I did when I was looking for comics is I, I would avoid bringing in comics who had uh, just a whole bunch of just 
you know, uh, political or or critical or racist kind of flavor in their material because almost that shock stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it is shock stuff almost, right? And I don't mean to pull. For, I don't. I don't ever want to take away from any comedian's flair. I respect anybody mm-hmm. who's getting on stage and, and doing it. And I know personally that it's a journey, right? We go through a journey of growing up yeah. almost. Um, and so I don't yep. want to take away from that, but I do want to create environments that are getaways, you know, that that mm-hmm. elicit joy and elicit uh, community rather than you don't want to sit in there and it's not funny. What's happening right now isn't funny. Right? You don't want to walk into a comedy club and sit there on eggshells. Yeah. Should I laugh? You know, like, yeah. you want to be able to, and you don't, and you know, with some of the shock humor and I did it when I first started, Yeah. it's low hanging fruit, you know? And right. like you said, you get away from it. And, and now instead of, you know, pulling people down to make that easy laugh, we're learning and we're studying to, it's a, it's a tougher joke and it takes longer to write. But it's a better joke when you bring people up, you know, and, and it's a it's a process, like you said, and it, there's no getting away from it. Once it's in you, you're not leaving it, and especially in today's day and age, you know, right there's on, no brother. way you can sit and have a cup of coffee watching the news and in your critical mind go, there's no way I shouldn't be putting this out there. Everybody feels. And when you go to the comedy club, we're all different. Everyone. I always looked at people like Christmas trees. OK, at the heart of us, there's. A, a trunk and branches, okay? That's every one of us. That's our circulatory system, our hearts, our bodies. There's white trees, there's green trees, there's different shades of green trees, there's different shades of white trees, there's tall white, every type, okay? Then you get to the, well, do we have tinsel or do we have colored lights? Do we have, what kind of ornaments? That's just all flair, that's all crap. We are Christmas trees without the decoration. And when we walk into that place, I look at the crowd as just blank Christmas trees. Now I see the bachelorette party the, the, with the tinsel and the flare and the blinking lights, but you're there celebrating, just like the family over here is celebrating something. Everybody should be there happy, you know? And even if it's something that you don't wanna laugh about, you should feel comfortable laughing about it. You should never, I cringe now when I watch, you know, when you're younger and you're drinking, you're like, oh, a heckler, there's gonna be a fight. I cringe now, I hate it because there's, you had that flow, and now you have this. Get them back here, and now everybody's happy. I cringe. I go, oh my god, get me up on stage. I just want to. I just let's just smooth it all over, you know. And that's why, like when you said you were producing the shows, you just want to get people in there. They're gonna have a nice smooth flow. You don't have to get up as a host and apologize. Like, what did we just see? Or a, an open mic or trying something out new, and it's right. gonna. Bro, you just, I can just blab you just took day. humanity and, and turned us into a Christmas tree. I love that. I love that metaphor. You got to break it down and make it easy. What drove you to seek sobriety? How did that happen? Uh, I had gotten my first DUI at 21 in Chicago. Uh, didn't take it seriously enough. Figured, hey, it was just a mistake. Um, kept drinking. Uh, it got worse and worse and worse. Uh, I got my second DUI when I was dating. I had a serious relationship, and she had a five-year-old daughter. We had been talking about starting a family, and I sat there in handcuffs and went, I'm talking about being an adult with my girlfriend, and I'm sitting in a childish position right now, handcuffed, because I don't know how to grow up. And I, I asked myself, I said, Michael, do you want to tell your son you can't take him to Little League because you don't have a license. I don't even have a son, but I didn't want to be that dad, you know? And I said, I've got to do something. I've got to, if I don't quit now, the third strike, 
myself or somebody else is going to be dead. It's not going to be a DUI where you get handcuffed, you go to the, the police station, you fill your paperwork and go home. The third time, somebody, it's, it's done. And I said, I can't do that. I can't kill myself or somebody else. I don't want to live this way anymore. You know, I, and you have to ask yourself, do I want to? And you go, I want to quit. I want to, but do you really want to quit? And I sat there and I asked myself, I said, do I really want to quit? Do I really? And I never want to sit in this position again next to a police officer. I never want to sit in the back of a cop car again. And I said, I've got to quit. I've got to grow up. Now is the time. And ironically enough, 10 days before, it was Valentine's Day and I had been out with my girlfriend and she had asked me, are you going to quit drinking? And I immediately I said, why? Is it a problem? Is it a, a, in our relationship to you? And she said, no, but I, you mentioned your father would quit, you know, a couple months ago and that you were, you saw yourself eventually quitting. And I said, Lucia, I just need a kick in the ass. 10 days later, I got arrested. And I said, well, there's the kick in the ass. And I went home. She picked me up. I drank a 22 of Bud Light on my bed as I cried my eyes out and I made plans the next day to get sober. I called my parents, I told them what happened, we all cried and I went to an AA meeting that night and I sat in a room of 80 people at a church and I listened to their pain and their problems and I immediately, the comedian mind, I wanted to go over to these people and what's your problem, I wanna help you, I wanna make you laugh, I wanna make you happy, I wanna take you away from this. I wanted to be that, a portable comedy club. That's not why you're an AA. That's not why you go to these meetings. You're here to help yourself. And it's, it's a selfish thing, but I had to do it. And I said, I can't, I know AA works. I know these things work, but maybe it just doesn't work for me. I said, I'm going to be distracted here. So I came home and I said, technology, if I can't get on the road, if I can't do these things, I'm going to bring them to me. So what did I do? Why am I like this, Google? Why is an addict like this? What makes me want to? And I read and I read and I studied. I spent three months going to work and coming home immediately and locking myself in my room. Why am I like this? How do I get better? You know, I asked, I became a, my own psychologist. I just tried to figure out what was wrong with me. And after a while, I started liking, you know, after you go through the DTs and everything, life starts to fill itself in. You know, the, the tree branches start to hang the way they're supposed to normally, you know. And instead of forcing things, I got sober and things started to fall into place. You know, me as the Christmas tree, I started to glow naturally. And I had friends and they would go, how long are you going to stay sober? And I said, as long as I feel good. Uh, you know, and I told myself a year later, I said, I'll start drinking when I find a reason that's worth it. Like when it can give me something. Eight years later, I'm still not drinking because it hasn't given me anything but a hard time, two DUIs, a lot of apologies. I wake up every day feeling great. You know, I don't, I want to drink sometimes, you know, it's, it comes up, but I realize, look, if I've gotten through this hard time or if I've gotten through my, my best friend dying, which was the worst thing to happen to me during my sobriety, if I got through that without wanting to drink, I think a bad day at work doesn't, I don't need to go drink a 12 pack for it. So you just find other ways to deal with your issues. You don't get drunk and, and disappear into a bottle of liquor and hide from your problems. You deal with them and then you feel better and you don't need to drink. So I, I got to the point where I, I said, Michael, if you don't get sober, you're going to die or you're going to kill somebody else. And 
I finally, I finally made that mature decision. You know, like we all do today's the day and you take it one day at a time. And here I am. And I couldn't be happier. I love it. It's nothing short of a miracle in my opinion when, when somebody, so do you consider yourself an alcoholic? Yes. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't want to give you a name you didn't own or you didn't think of. So oh, I, I wanted to ask before I, I said it. Through um, and through, uh, I will be till I die. I'm just going to, I'm in, I'm just a recovering alcoholic now. The only thing that separates me from is that one drink, that one drink. Yeah. For so. me, I think it's always a miracle when an alcoholic is able to put it down. Um, because for a lot of us, the willpower isn't enough. You know, so it's amazing to me. And uh, I know having been on stage with you and uh, I was newly sober, newly sober when I met you, like within the year or two. So um, I don't yeah. think that you saw me drinking, which is a good thing. No. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, but I also, you saw me. But. Yeah. Well, I, you know. I understand not wanting to be in that environment in early sobriety, and I understand the way that uh, a lot of us drink. And I also understand that it's none of my business to tell somebody else uh, about their drinking. I just had to do what I was doing. Like you said, it's selfish. I mean, I had to do it for me, and I had to never mind what other people thought about it because I really uh, came to an end. In my experience of myself, where I was just like, you know, I might live until I'm 95 years old. I might be that skinny little red-nosed, veiny-cheeked woman who cannot not drink a bottle of Chablis today. And I don't want to live that long like this. Whether it killed me six feet under or whether it killed me uh, spiritually and with a desire to live and to have relationships and be a healthy tree, if you'll forgive me for jumping yeah. on your metaphor. No, no, uh, no. You know, it was a decision that um, I feel like I was lucky to have been able to make. Um, oh, me too. So you said that art, you said that painting was sort of a replacement for your drinking. One of the questions that I was going to ask you before we started was, having met you on stage and with all of the audience and the immediate feedback, how does one go from that to painting? And what was that journey like for you? I, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time just sitting on my computer and, and, and reading and learning. And I, you know, when you're not drinking, you come home from work and you go, well, what am I doing from 10 until two in the morning? And you go, well, I'm, I'm usually always out at the bar, you know, or until four in the morning. And right. I said, well, I've got to find something else to do. And I didn't have any like hobby hobbies at that point. And I said, well, there's, I, I just happened to come across one of the New York sh street painters with the spray paint and they do the, uh, the galaxies and the planets. And I watched somebody do it and I said, I got some old spray paint. Let me try it. And I tried it and I could do it. And I said, but I could do it better than that guy. And this is that ego, you know, I could do it better than that guy. And I went and bought a couple cans of spray paint and I started to spray paint the planets. And then I started looking up. I remember Keith Haring from an art video in elementary school and I just loved how he'd get off a train and you know the subway and he'd see an empty space with chalk and just go fill it in you know hey my art here whatever how simple it is these cave drawings look better than this blank space and I loved it and I started just doing more research and, and I said I have a ton of money that I'm not spending on alcohol and other people's drinks and you know nights of regret so I started investing in some art supplies and I started saying I want to do fun things I want to paint. I want to draw like I did when I was a kid that I didn't follow because I thought I was an athlete. 
I'm 36 with a bad back. I'm not out playing softball every weekend. I can paint. So I bought materials and I started painting and, I, and the process of just learning. And that comedian artist, I need uh, validation. I would put it on the internet and Hey guys, this is what I've been doing sober. This is what I'm doing. And I'd get, Hey, that's really good. Or I'd get your four year old nephew did a great job. And I didn't, when you get sober and you feel comfortable, your ego is gone. You're not afraid of failure. You, you almost welcome failure. Uh, oh, okay, this painting didn't come out the right way. Well, there's only happy little mistakes. We'll go over it. it it's, it's a longer process to get uh, any type of validation or feedback. But where I think the difference between the stand-up and the art is I'm always doing the art no matter what for myself. I'm in my apartment five hours a day painting and you may not see any of that. And I may not make any money off of that, or I may not ever show anybody that canvas or that drawing, but it was something that I was doing. And maybe it's not for other people to see. It's for me, you know, kind of like how every comedian does one joke every once in a while and and another comedian will go, that joke sucked. And the comedian goes, that one was for me. That one made me laugh. That was my, you know, comedy, you can stand there and people will come up to you after the show. That was great. We'll buy you a drink. We'll shake your hand. Let's... And it's great, but I think the feeling of going into somebody's house and seeing your art on their wall is very similar to somebody saying two years after hearing one of your jokes, I thought of you when I went up an escalator. I always think of Mitch Hedberg when I go up escalators. So when somebody, it's, it's, it may not be the immediate gratification of somebody but it's definitely the same in the long run you know where comedy you're on stage you say something people laugh it's immediate art you may not see happiness you're not going to look at a painting or a sculpture and visual it's all mental but having it in your house or or just the intro oh my god i enjoy what you're doing that makes you feel good but i think with painting it's more for you more than for other people where I think comedy stand-up is almost 50-50. This is for me. This is for the audience. I think art is almost more for the artist, you know, than the crowd. I think we need to get it out on that. We need to get our issues out on that canvas. And whether or not anybody sees it, it doesn't matter. But I got those demons out, you know. So even if a joke doesn't go over, I got it out. I almost feel like you processed that right now as as we're talking. Yeah. Which, yep. which was kind of neat to see. It was it was sort of uh selfishly it was interesting to watch. We'll have more of this interview coming up next week. Go to my website www.soulnotskin.com. Go to the contact page and let me know what you think about these interviews. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.